Yes, You're Wrong, the podcast where we talk trash about things people love to hate and hate to love. And I'm Shelby, and I'm here with Matt, and we're on our 13th episode. Yeah, unlucky number 13, unless you're Taylor Swift. Yeah, so so it balances out. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Uh, Well, not so luckily... I got received my first negative review <laughs> of this podcast in the comment section on Apple Podcasts. Oh, no. Which I'm what? reading obligatorily. <laughs> yeah, we have to keep it coming. Fair is fair. I, yeah, I know. Fair is fair, I guess. Okay, so Nate, 12719. Complicated. One, complicated. 12719. Okay. I don't know what that could be. Something happened to him on <laughs> December seventh well, yeah. of twenty nineteen, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, he says I came into this having gone to high school with Matt. Oh well, okay, I'm thinking <laughs> this is promising. He knows me. Like what, what could fans? he possibly say? Yeah. But then he says, So I knew listening to him would be both entertaining and sometimes annoying. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> How dare you say that I was annoying in high school? I cannot even believe it. This guy sounds cool. I think we would have been friends in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Were you a popular kid in high school? I don't know if we've ever talked about our high school personas. I mean, from this, sounds like you weren't. Um, I thought we had just agreed, Shelby, that both of us were, have been very popular our entire lives and we're yeah, going yeah, to leave it at that. Right, you're right. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I went to a really s- small, like, private school and I was very nerdy oh. in high school. But I sort of feel like most of the people there were really nerdy. So it was like, if I had wow. been in another high school, I would have not been popular at all. But because there was such <laughs> a large quantity of nerds and so many of them weirder than I was, I was like, you know, I feel like above average in like yeah. maybe a B to B minus league of popularity. Well, Nate sounds like Nate sounds like he disagrees with that. So... You know, he played basketball and stuff. So, like, oh wow! At least if if it's the Nate that I'm thinking it is. I mean, I only knew about like ten. Everybody who is my age is named Nate. Nate. So, yeah, it could be someone who's been harboring a grudge against me for years. (laughs) At least he listened, though, right? Like he maybe he meant it as like playful. You know, like oh, classic Matt, so annoying. Well then, well then he goes on a real shot in the gut here. He says, "But what really brings this podcast together is Shelby. She's very sweet and a good counterbalance to Matt's over the top personality." <laughs> oh my word! I think I'm in love. I think we would have been best friends. He sounds so cool, man. Nate, my number one fan. <laughs> Okay, you he know what? It, you know, you that's know how we sold this podcast is I I make it cool. I just put up with Matt's awkward, annoying behavior. And so I'm the star <laughs> of the show. <laughs> I'm glad we okay. finally put it out there. Okay. Thank you, okay. Nate, for being brave enough. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um so actually <laughs> nobody leave us any reviews this week. I don't want any of them. I have a fragile ego and this is too much for me to handle. No, I think these <sighs> are great. Keep them coming. If we could get more of Matt's high school alumni to come and tell me <laughs> what you really think of him, that'd be great. 
So find us on iTunes, find us on Google Play, Spotify, the whole works. Leave a review. I'd love to know more. That'd be And we have social media. Yeah. Instagram. (laughs) We have Facebook. We have Twitter, which is... Shelby has been getting an obscene amount of likes and retweets, <laughs> but nobody is following us. So we're confused as to what's going on there. I know. I was like, I got a tweet that got like, it's like a record tweet. Like it was like 2,500. I've never, ever, ever gotten any likes that much. And I got, I think, two followers from it. <laughs> Twitter's a hard nut to crack, but it's okay. Yeah, apparently. It's a, good, it's a fun place. So we're, we're working there. hard. Well, yeah. you're working hard. <laughs> All yeah. of our tweets come from Shelby. So if you have yeah. dis- disagreements with them, it's not my opinion. Yeah, I think the lines sometimes get blurred where I'll tweet my opinion, but you'd probably disagree with it. But that's what happens when you made me the social media maven. So it is yeah. it is my right to be right. So. <laughs> and I edit the podcast. So I'm just going to go through and edit out all of yeah. the things that you say It'll that are annoying. It'll be Matt's show soon. It'll just, yeah. it'll just bleep me out entirely yeah (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like it's been it's been such a big week I know I don't even know where to start I feel like I don't remember who started last time but you can take it you can take first swing um okay I'm going to hit the story that I'm sure everybody wants me to talk about (laughs) that everybody has been clamoring for there was a lot of big news this week about big brother and I'm oh, sure that no. everyone needed to know. So, okay, Shelby, I'm sure you did not hear about this, but this is like the wild craziness <laughs> that is Big Brother. So, okay. at the beginning of this summer, these two people, I mean, there was a lot of people in the house, but two people were in the house. One of them was a girl named Bailey, and one of them was a guy going by the name Swaggy C, because this is Big <laughs> Brother and people go by names like Swaggy C. Okay. They quickly fell in love in the house. They were in their 22 days together. They went by the name, the couple name Swaley, which is a mix of Aww, Bailey and Swaley. And then he got voted out. He goes home. He's at home for the rest of the summer. The game progresses. It's 100 days. Bailey stays in a while, but then she gets voted out too, but she's on the jury. So she gets sequestered in this jury house. So by the time the finale rolls around, they have not seen each other in like 70 some days. They spent Uh 22 days together in the house and then they've been completely separated. During Mm -hmm. the finale, Swaggy C proposes to her. And she says, yes. But but the drama does not end there because it comes out afterwards that they had actually got a little hanky panky on during the 20 days in the house and she was (laughs) pregnant. Oh, wow. That is not family friendly. So that's exciting, though. A little big brother family. I know. Are you are you a fan of them? Oh, I mean, they're both crazy people. (laughs) Oh, Anybody who goes by the name Swaggy C, and he wore all these t-shirts that said, like, Swaggy C. He, like, all of his clothes has his name on it. Yeah, it was a, it was he was a lot, but it's called branding. He's on reality TV. He has to be memorable. He has to be recognizable. So, well, I, I mean, you can job. buy the shirts online. <laughs> so, you know, if you were a true friend, that's what you'd get me for my birthday. I Perfect. Guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, have they stayed together thus far? It's been like a week. Are they still going strong? Um, I believe so. Yes, it has been a week. Aww. They 
everybody from Big Brother was in Las Vegas this past weekend because there was like a big like Vegas Big Brother reunion. So I think they were just basically <laughs> partying it up there. So we'll see how long they last in the real world. I'm skeptical yeah. that they'll actually get married. But who knows? <laughs> Welcome to my life. It's like I watch The Bachelor, people get engaged, and then it's just I just don't believe that they'll actually get married. But every now and then it happens, Matt. You have hope. I think that Big Brother has a higher rate of couples <laughs> staying together than The Bachelor. I'm not even joking. I think there's like six couples from Big Brother who have gotten married and are like still married with kids. Oh, wow. I had no idea it was like a romantic place. Well, they're locked in a house together with nothing else to do. So when you're <laughs> yeah. a hot person with another hot person and you're there for 80 days with no TV, you know, yeah. you find your soulmate, I guess. Oh, is that why you want to go on? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, Sh- shoot, if I could just be locked in a cats. house with somebody for 90 days, <laughs> yeah. then they might fall in love with me. Yeah. <sighs> it didn't work in high school, obviously. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. But one day, Matt, you'll either get Big Brother season 200 or Survivor season 432, whatever they're on right now. So... I'm holding out Aww. hope. <laughs> Aw, thanks. You're welcome. I really thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna bring up something else though. So I guess it's my duty to jump in. This was a little bit I guess it's late now, but we haven't had a chance to dissect it. The Nagini news from the Fantastic yeah. Beasts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm curious. Yes. So so just to catch everyone else up, the Fantastic Beasts is like a spin off of Harry Potter. And one of the characters was announced in this new movie coming out in December to be Nagini. And she's played by a human. And we're all confused because in the books, Nagini is just Voldemort's pet snake. So I'm curious how you reacted to this news because you're sort of a J.K. Rowling super fan. I am a J.K. Rowling super fan. And I loved the first Fantastic Beasts movie, which I don't, I feel like some people have mixed opinions on, but I thought Mm -hmm. it was really great. And I'm excited for this next one. We'll be covering it on the podcast, obviously. So stay tuned. But. Yeah, it was sort of out of left field because the snake is clearly just like a pet snake with part of Voldemort's soul in it in the books. Mm -hmm. And now, supposedly, there's this thing in the wizarding world where a woman can have a blood curse where (laughs) her and her future generations all turn into animals and this woman (laughs) turns into a snake which jk rowling claims that she has known about this for years and years and years and she's just been saving it yeah classic jk you know it's like she pulls that all the time she's just like oh no this definitely happened i was thinking about it the whole time oh yeah there were there were definitely jews at, at hogwarts and dumbledore is definitely gay and like I really believe in this story and that story. And it's like, okay, I remember when the book series ended and the movie series was like finishing and she was like, okay, I'm not going to write about Harry Potter anymore, but it'll be there for you whenever you need it. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, JK. (laughs) When are you going to sit down and like be true to your word? Because she has been just beating this horse to death. And I'm I'm not really a fan of her like Americanized version of Harry Potter and like the weird Native American lore she created. And this one sort of sits weird with me, too, because like the triumphant moment of Harry Potter is when Neville kills Nagini, thus leaving Voldemort like defenseless. And now it's like, wait, 
he just murdered a woman like who's a victim as well. And so it just kind of takes the power out of it, you know? Well, I mean, yes and no, because at the same time, I mean, in the Harry Potter books, she's Voldemort's pet snake, but is also very malicious. So it's yeah. not like at the point where Neville kills her that she's just like trapped in this snake. She definitely right. has a turn at some point. And I think she's kind of a villain in this upcoming movie from how they're it's presented sort of. Yeah. I don't really know, but um, because we haven't seen it. But yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I'm a little bit like, you know, I love Harry Potter. So I'm always excited to get more Harry Potter stuff. Mm-hmm. Books and plays and whatnot. But at the same time, sometimes I'm a little bit like, uh, I don't know. I feel like this is maybe a little bit shoehorning. Little yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and so. the main the main issue was a lot of people were offended because it's played by one of the few POCs in the Harry Potter universe. So the actress is a Korean woman. And a lot of people got upset because they felt like it was, again, classic J.K. Rowling, who, one, doesn't give POCs great roles. And when there are POCs, they play villains or they're suddenly like become voiceless snakes who are milked and kept as pets. So I think there was some bad optics for that as well with this story twist. I don't know. The film yeah. is sort of a hot mess because she also kept on Johnny Depp, who's had a lot of bad press and like wherever you fell in that camp she really dug her heels in and was like well I like him as an actor so deal with it so I don't know it just sort of it just is a little iffy to see how she engages with these like opinions and politics yeah I mean she came out with like a reason for why that Nagini like the name is from yeah. some kind of like mythological yeah, creature yeah, that's yeah. like Japanese or something something so I mean sh- she definitely like at least thought it through but right. yeah I don't know yeah I I guess I can sort of respect her because I do feel like in these choices that she makes she makes it and then she sticks with it she's not someone who like waffles <laughs> back and forth on stuff yeah. which I think is admirable because you definitely see some people who kind of like throw something out on Twitter, test it, see how it does, then go back, change some things. <laughs> and I feel like she like doesn't do that. But at the same time, some of her choices are a little bit, uh, <laughs> I don't know, questionable. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of people <laughs> who have made some questionable choices. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, my guy, Kanye West. <laughs> Is he still your guy? You're still sticking I mean, by so <laughs> to set this up for everyone, yeah, it has do. been a saga it's of things with him recently. Yeah. So this, like, I think just within this past like couple weeks, he announced mm-hmm. that he had a new album coming out, which he had an album that came out this summer after his, mm-hmm. it was black people's fault that yeah. they were slaves. Slavery comment. was a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Slavery was Joy's comment, which was like, uh, not great. <laughs> so he had this album come out. Which I liked and had some interesting aspects to it. But anyways, I don't think it did amazingly well. Mm -hmm. So he said, he released like a week ago that he's coming out with a new album. Everyone was excited. It was supposed to come out this weekend. Also, (laughs) well, some people were excited. (laughs) 
I think people were interested. We're yeah. excited at least like to see what it was, <laughs> what was going to happen yeah, with it. For sure. He he also books SNL because apparently Ariana Grande was supposed to be the first musical guest, but then mm-hmm. she backed out because of all the stress of dating Pete Davidson. <laughs> yeah. So Kanye West stepped in at the last minute to take this slot to be the hero. opening musical guest. Which I think people were surprised that SNL would want him because he's kind of also, you know, not great optics at the moment, but whatever. Yeah. He goes on the show. <laughs> His first set, he performs dressed up like a Perrier bottle, <laughs> which is weird, but like, whatever. He gets through his second musical number, fine. Then at the end of the show, when usually they just have the goodbyes, he performs a third time, which <laughs> is unprecedented. And he's wearing a Make America Great hat, a Great yeah. Again hat, which people, which is questionable. Right. But apparently after the show ended or went off the air after his performance, he went on this like long rambling rant about the 13th Amendment and Trump <laughs> and yeah, black yeah. people and slavery <laughs> and all kinds of things, yeah. which... There were snippets of recorded by various people in the audience, and then it was put online, so that didn't do well. And (laughs) then, on top of that, he decided not to release his album that day and is pushing the release back to November because apparently he wants to go to Africa (laughs) to record sections of it there. Yeah, yeah. It's... It's a it's a lot. Yeah, yeah it's I don't a even hot know where mess. to begin. <laughs> I know. Well, and he got on Twitter, social media after the show. Oh yes, and posted a photo of him in the maga maga hat, saying like, "I want to abolish the Thirteenth Amendment," which he then clarified he meant the part where basically prisoners can be used as slave labor, free labor. So it's like he's like on the precipice of a good idea, but he goes about it in all the wrong, really, (laughs) really uneducated ways. And he got a lot of flack this time. I mean, like Lana Del Rey responded. Chris Evans chewed him out. A lot of people were like, man, you need to start picking up books and stop just saying whatever comes to mind. Because I think that's what's frustrating, isn't that he has ideas or that he wants to wear the MAGA hat or whatever. It's more that he talks as if he knows and understands and is better at seeing everything than everyone else is. And it's just like more and more obvious that he is so disconnected from reality. I well, <laughs> I guess uh, just a counter opinion a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I mean, the things he said, not great. And I think that he is not well suited for the Twitterverse, social media, 24 <laughs> 7 news cycle because he just thinks things and says things and throws stuff yeah. out there and it doesn't land well. And he really needs to like rein himself in or have someone like rein himself in. And I think he was better off earlier in his career where he didn't, where he could think things, but if you only have an album coming out once a year and that is really your only gateway (laughs) to the world, besides for a few interviews here or there, you only get like one specific thing that he's been thinking about a while because it takes (laughs) him a long time to make an album where now he can make an album in three days, throw it out there to the world. And, and there it goes. But I do really appreciate, one, his ability to, like, look at different viewpoints on things, which I think is interesting. He's mm-hmm. He doesn't just take what is the viewpoint held by the general populace of 
celebrity Twitter and say Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is what we're all saying. This is what I'm going to say. (laughs) He's not going to like be the person who, you know, tweets out the like, make sure to go out and vote today (laughs) sticker just because everyone else is posting it. I mean, that's a good sentiment, but you know what I mean? Like people are posting that and you're like, okay. Yeah. Like, but, you're but posting being this contrarian for cool. contrarian's sake isn't necessarily admirable. You know, I think that's no. what frustrates me about him is it's like he's saying things because they're splashy and supposedly thought provoking for him. But he carries such an important platform that it feels really reckless the way he talks as if he knows what he's talking about. Right. And maybe he does yeah. it unknowingly. And so then there's a level of innocence to that. But. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. At some point, Homeboy needs to sit down and like take a course on either black history, history in general, government, politics, any of that. So he can understand some of the nuance that he's sort of flipping about, which is racism in America and the politics of Trump and like the difference between party affiliation and political like hopes and dreams and standpoints and so it's just sort of like messy to see him get involved when he clearly doesn't really have any real like skin in the game you know yes yeah oh for sure he definitely (laughs) should not be like like someone should take his phone away and say like you need to sit with your idea for a couple (laughs) days before you you know decide to share it with anybody but i think it's annoying that all of these celebrities who know equally little and have thought (laughs) less about these issues than him like just show up out of nowhere to say like you're a bad person when it (laughs) it, it's like this isn't any of your business and also like you are only doing this to make yourself look better like chris evans is all of a sudden like a political expert okay sounds good i think the thing is kanye set the bar so low that anyone who's read a book can be like hey honey you need to like step back here that's what's crazy is like yeah chris evans comes off way more intelligent than kanye west because he took the time to be like hey your ego doesn't justify having this like opinion right now but i see what you mean in that there's like a no, lot i think of drama chris evans it. took the time to read other people's tweets about it <laughs> and say oh let me like retweet this again because it's getting a lot of likes that's okay. what i think if you yeah, think yeah, that chris yeah. evans like solely read kanye's tweet just like thoughtfully <laughs> thinking hmm how should i respond to this as a human and as a citizen and, and as a Captain voter America. and yeah. as someone who has studied history <laughs> and let me reply to Kanye. There is no way that happened. He was like, "Ooh, this yeah. is trending. Let me jump on the bandwagon <laughs> for a few likes. I need a new franchise once Avengers yeah. is over." Well, I Ugh. mean, okay, but Kanye continues to make waves because there was a new episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians where Kim was talking about how her and Kanye have been getting into fights more. And it turns Mm. out they um, had this huge blow up fight because Kanye needed a Band-Aid and Kim gave him one and he was unhappy with the color. And so she's like, "Okay, well, go get your own Band-Aid. And he threw a tantrum because he was like, if Saint had asked you for a certain Band-Aid, you would have run to the store to get it. And Saint, for you, <laughs> those of you who don't know, is his like three-year-old child. So yes. he's competing with toddlers right now for Kim's attention. Uh. And what's more is like so much news came out about this relationship. And it's just sort of a really interesting one because 
I mean, one of the most infamous moments on the Kardashian show was when Kanye first started dating Kim. He like sent his um, stylist over and completely took away all her clothes and was like, I'm going to start dressing you. Her style completely changed. And now she's like his literal model for the Yeezy line. And he's been very controlling about her social media feed and was like throwing a tantrum about how he she messed up her feed by posting this promo shot. But the craziest news, she was on a podcast today and was telling this story about how a fashion house reached out to her to ask to promo one of their outfits and they were going to pay her $1 million to do this. $1 million for an Instagram post. And she was like, oh, I have to ask Kanye. And Kanye was like, no. And she was like, well, it's a million dollars. And But she decided not to. And she says that on Mother's Day, she woke up to a little gift from Kanye. And it was a letter. And in it, he said, thanks for always standing by me. And he had cut her a $1 million check <laughs> for oh. Mother's Day. <laughs> oh, my so, gosh. So this guy is just like crazy. And I mean is a million dollars and like I just that story just flabbergasted me but I mean I don't know if it's like wow what a good husband or like whoa what a control freak you know (laughs) I mean does money mean anything to either (laughs) of those people you know like I feel like that would be the equivalent of like (laughs) someone offering you five dollars to post something on an Instagram feed (laughs) and then Rob being like no you can't like post a picture of you wearing Crocs on your Instagram it'll ruin it like don't take the five dollars and then he was like here's five dollars for Kanye was seriously in debt wasn't he wasn't that the whole thing he was like I'm fifty million dollars in debt but can so, we believe that like i have no i have no idea yeah i know i was wondering that i was also wondering how you get kim kardashian on your podcast because i think we should really hone in on that and like make that happen because i think it'd be really fun <laughs> is it a so. million dollars because it might be a <laughs> yeah. while before we get to that point yeah. i'll look into it we'll see i'll tweet her a few things So I have another story. Did you see the whole debacle with Lindsay Lohan getting punched in the face? Yeah, (laughs) Lindsay Lohan. I don't know what's going on with her, but do share. Yeah, so she she posted this video. I think it was on Instagram Live (laughs) or Facebook Live. Of her in a car. (laughs) She was in a different country and there was like a refugee family who was like out by the side of the street. And I guess she stopped the car and was like trying to get them to get in her car with her and take them (laughs) back to her hotel room but she was yeah. clearly like drunk and didn't really and they didn't want to get in the car with her so they're trying to like run or run away or leave her and she keeps chasing them and screaming at them and so eventually yeah. one of them turns around and just punches her in the <laughs> face yeah it was crazy i mean it was like Lindsay lohan has problems and i don't even know if she was drunk i think that's just her personality now and she's oh, maybe talking was. in this crazy accent no one knows where this accent came from and she just assumed this family was refugees, even though she hadn't asked them or knew anything. But she Oh, maybe they weren't refugees. <laughs> yeah. Then. She was like in know. Moscow, I think, and just saw them on the street and was like just went up to him and started talking to him. And like they understood her a little, but if you watch the video, it's like clear that they're like, Who is this girl? I have no idea who she is. It's like yes. they don't know who Lindsay Lohan is. Like, I don't even know if I'd recognize her. She looks so crazy different now, but 
it was it was wild and it just sort of makes me sad you know (laughs) i just miss parent trap and like hallie and annie where'd they go (laughs) yeah it's just too bad it's just like poor Lindsay. but i don't know if you saw this but cardi b had her own crazy oh yes i did she was um, charged officially with assault and reckless endangerment because she was accused of like hiring this hit against two female bartenders at the strip club because one of them slept with her husband, supposedly, offset. And so she like had this hit on these two women. And I guess it wasn't the first time either because she'd also had her friends attack this woman before so it's a little bit messy oh my gosh (laughs) i know i would just like to go back rewind a couple of weeks (laughs) to the conversation that we had about Nicki minaj and cardi b where i said i was on team Nicki minaj and i stand by that stance (laughs) i know but i don't know why cardi b i mean she also posted recently like her singing the words to even stevens we went to the moon and that really endeared her to me and like I don't oh, know. Yeah, I just like it. yeah. And she was serving looks at the at the jailhouse and like I just I <laughs> I just like her and I know I shouldn't and it's probably hypocritical of me, but I don't know. I'm still a fan. <laughs> She's your Kanye, you know? Oh, yeah. Sometimes you just like people who do not great things. <laughs> Stockholm that's syndrome, fair. that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> we all have blind spots. But speaking of people who may or may not have Stockholm Syndrome, let's get into our feature presentation, which is Maniac the TV show, because the people in there are real messed up. Yeah, okay, I see. Smooth segue. Was that a good segue? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. No misconceptions about that. But I'm excited to talk about this. Me too. I am. Did you Did you like it? I don't know. I... <laughs> I didn't at first. It was really hard for me to get into. It was very slow for me. But around episode six, I was finally like, okay. And I think I just have trouble with like the gender, the genre bending elements. But I really liked, yeah. I really liked the present, like the alternate reality and like the story there. And I think this show tried to do a lot. And I think it did some right. So I'm just sort of like in the middle, I guess. What about you? Yeah, I I feel like I had a similar kind of arc. I watch more TV that's maybe in this wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have as much trouble getting into it at the beginning. But the first few episodes, I was definitely a little bit like, what is going on? What's (laughs) happening? Especially Jonah Hill's character, I found was hard to connect with right away. Right. But once, yeah, once we got to that middle point, and especially I felt like the last couple episodes were real strong and like really had a lot of emotion and the music was so good. It just like, it really kind of came into its own at the end. Did you watch the TV show Legion at all? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I watched the first season. I haven't watched the newest one yet. Yeah, because that's what I kept thinking about when I was watching this. Because I've yeah. only seen the first season too, and I felt like with that, it was ki- it was real trippy. It was in <laughs> that like let's go into your mind, and there's right. weird things in your mind, and what is the real world and what is not. But it was set in a in a very it was an X Men spinoff, so yes, it yes. was a very magical element to it. But I felt like in Legion. 
it got to the end and I was still really confused and there wasn't very much resolution <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of like emotional moments. Yeah. Where this, I felt like at the end, once it finished, I might not have a complete understanding of everything, but I can see a general arc right. of the characters and what happened to them. Yeah, it was interesting. And I definitely like think if I hadn't had this podcast and like had to like really think about it, I would have turned it off and just been like, whatever. But I mean, maybe it's like the group think effect, but like reading different takes, both good and bad, it kind of like and reading how it was made. It was interesting to see how I kind of respected it more by the end of like my studies of it, which I think like speaks to this like we have this instant gratification thing in our culture now where we just want to be entertained and so I appreciated that the show wasn't necessarily like straightforward in the sense that you maybe expect and they were definitely like playing with it and exploring the weirdness of it without really giving answers or making clear dot to dot connections yeah so I guess just to set up the show a little bit before we get into a lot of the specifics (laughs) this is a Netflix show it stars Emma Stone and Jonah Hill and it's set in the near-ish future it's kind of a weird like Blade Runner (laughs) uh, Ready Player One kind of like futuristic world yeah and both of them are dealing with big losses or changes in their life. They both um, are very troubled individuals who, for various reasons, sign up for this pharmaceutical test. These doctors are going to give them pills. They're going to go into these, like, alternate realities within their mind, and they're going to confront the traumas of their life. Mm -hmm. And supposedly, at the end of these various tests, they will be cured. And so the show is, it's 10 episodes, and it's a half hour, and they're like half hour episodes, which is an interesting form for a drama, I guess, although Mm -hmm. this is a comedy as well (laughs) but it's all but so we follow them through this through these trials and then we also follow the doctors who are putting them through these trials and kind of seeing how they develop as they move along which is an interesting setup i think i don't know it was sort of yeah it was just like an interesting it was an interesting show and it was crazy how it ended up getting made because it's actually based on a swedish show of the same name but it it varies yeah. greatly. It's a very different show. That one takes place in a mental institution, and this one takes place at a pharmaceutical trial. And basically, they reached out to the director, Carrie Fukunago, was like, hey, we want to do this show. Would you be interested? And then they were like, okay. And they got Jonah Hill on board and Emma Stone. But then they went to the creator, whose name I forgot. <laughs> Like the sh- like the showrunner, yeah, Patrick the showrunner Patrick Somerville. So he was listed as creator because they decided to bring him on, and then they built the show around both Carrie and Patrick talking it out and stuff, which is interesting because Patrick, I know his work because I watched The Leftovers. Did you ever watch that on HBO? No, I didn't. <laughs> it is dark and depressing, and really well done. But what's crazy is this guy, Patrick Somerville, was a writer and he hasn't done much else. He's like, he only has like 10 IMDb credits. So it's sort of crazy that he suddenly got to headline this show. But on The Leftovers, it's sort of like, it did remind me a little bit of Maniac because it takes place in this sort of 
I mean, in, in The Leftovers, it's a futuristic world where the rapture came and they disappeared. And so it's left with these people reeling from it and trying to struggle with it. But there's this one episode or there's a couple, there's one per season basically where the main character dies and he goes to this weird dream world and it becomes this like he's an assassin and he has to he has to solve this issue before he can be resurrected and brought back to reality. And it's like every one of these episodes, it ends up with like him realizing something. And it's like this journey of discovery for him. And it's like done through this weird hotel. And it's very like dream sequency. And those are the episodes I didn't like. And those are the episodes that Patrick Somerville wrote. And those are the episodes that were most like maniac. So I think he has this thing for this like dreamy sequence, like, discoveriness and I just didn't connect with it for whatever reason. Honestly, I loved the world. Like they talked about it as like an alternate reality where anything past the 90s wouldn't have happened. It's sort of just like if the technology had advanced in different ways, what would our world look like today? Because it's actually like set in 2018 technically because um, one of the doctors yeah. lists his birthday. But it was like fun to see how they messed with that world. And I think that was what was so interesting was because it wasn't necessarily a future or like a warning of what's to come. And so there was a sense of like, you could relax into it because it's not like it was like, oh, beware type thing like some of these futuristic <laughs> stories do become. But I thought it was fun. Did you like this like weird New York they had? <laughs> yeah, I I think that the most interesting part about this future is that there's like advertising everywhere. Yeah. And you're just seeing like the advertising push to like its greatest extent where like yeah. the toilet paper has ads <laughs> on it. The Brooklyn Bridge has ads all over it. Mm-hmm. And the funniest part for me was that you can hire what's called an ad buddy. So if you can't afford something, basically it's kind of like in those video games where like, if you want extra lives, you can watch an ad and it gives you extra lives. But instead, if you can't pay for something in real life, you can have an ad buddy pay for it where this person comes and stands next to you and reads (laughs) a variety of ads for different things until you've like accumulated enough money to pay for whatever it is you need. And Emma Stone at one point, it's like, hey, if I bring an ad buddy uh, along with me on vacation, can can I, can they just like pay for everything? Like, it'll take a long time, <laughs> and the ad buddy's just going to be reading things to me the whole time. But like, can I still go on vacation? It? Yeah, <laughs> I know. It was That's it. I might take up that uh, <laughs> offer if that yeah. existed because I could use a vacation somewhere <laughs> cool, and I have no money. Well, and it was cool because like, yeah, I love the ad buddies. They also had the friend proxy, which was like you hire someone to pretend to be your friend and like people would do it. They for have company that. And like, yeah, it's like a weird escort service. That is service. a real thing that people <laughs> yeah. have now. There's yeah. like Tinder, but for friends where you can just like <laughs> meet up with a random person at a coffee shop because you just like need a friend and can't make yeah. one in a normal way. I know. And so it was weird because it was sort of disarming how like you could see the parallels to our life because, you know, we don't have humans showing up to read ads, but we have these targeted ads on Facebook and we have these targeted ads that are popping up in grocery stores. And it's like, it's like weird to see it humanized and like to realize, well, that's not so different than what we are dealing with. And like, it really was a fun world because it was so close to ours, but it still 
had all these like very drastic differences and it was just like very clever the way they interacted with that so that was some of my favorites too was just like <laughs> these weird modern services that felt so out of place for us but in reality had had really realistic parallels yeah and could happen like yeah. <laughs> i would not be surprised if the ad buddy is a thing like in right. 10 years yeah that feels very real to me <laughs> It was like when I first started watching it and you see like New York and you're like, oh, it's sort of 80s vibe, but maybe it's future and like retro. And I was like, oh, do they think we're going to end up putting neon ads all over these famous buildings and bridges and whatever and become this obsessed with ads? And I was like, LOL, of course not. But then you do feel sort of like, well, why wouldn't people start putting their, you know, ads on toilet paper? Because that way you get so much more attention and stuff. And it just sort of felt like, yeah, maybe we are slipping into some weird obsessive stuff like that, (laughs) because it did start to feel a little too close to home. I would read ads on toilet paper, because sometimes (laughs) you're in random places, and you're just sitting there like, Like, I mean, (laughs) like, I I have definitely read the back of shampoo bottles (laughs) and various things in bathrooms before. So I would definitely read the toilet paper if there was something interesting. Wow, you would take an ad buddy on a vacation, and you would have toilet paper (laughs) ads. So really, (laughs) you're just the worst human. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, I, I guess I could just bring a book in the bathroom. Right. Me. This is a whole, this, this is another issue for another do. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's I guess dive in a little bit deeper to the two main characters and kind of yeah. their storylines. Do you want to talk about Emma Stone first or Jonah Hill first? Um, I guess I just want to get Jonah Hill out of the way because honestly, I didn't think he was great. And I spent a lot of time wondering if he was good or if he was bad, and I just feel like he wasn't good. <laughs> Yeah, I 100% agree. I felt like everybody in this cast was bringing it at like a level 10. We will get into the like second tier actors in a little (laughs) bit. But but Jonah Hill's character, Owen Milgram, and Mm -hmm. he is the youngest son of this wealthy family. Do you know why they're wealthy, Shelby? I saw this online. (laughs) Yeah, I saw it too. It was one of those clever little throwaway factoids but there's like the poop scooper robots yes in this universe that like they're literally just go around picking up dog poop off the streets of new york and that was the milgram's claim to fame was creating this poop scooper (laughs) yeah they like invented the dog poop roomba and (laughs) became millionaires off of it yeah it just goes to show that there's no such thing as a bad idea yeah yes exactly (laughs) And so Owen, or Jonah Hill's older brother, is on trial. What is he even on trial for? I'm not even sure. Well, this is another thing. Is like I was very confused, right? No, no, no. It was like some sort of golden shower thing. It was called Bladdergate. And so he had like he had peed on this poor woman in his office or something, as it turns out, and is like on trial is being charged with it, but he's claiming he didn't do it, and they're asking Owen to be like you know he didn't do it wasn't he with you and they're kind of like they're kind of using him as a as a um what's it called <laughs> alibi alibi yeah. thank you yes <laughs> yes they're pressuring Jonah Hill to be the alibi for his brother but up until this point they've really sort of like cast Jonah Hill out of the yeah. family to the point where there's this big family <laughs> painting that he isn't even in despite yeah. the fact that like he was obviously alive at the time that 
painting was made. <laughs> but there's a little wrinkle in the plan in that Jonah Hill's character sometimes thinks he sees his brother when his brother isn't there because yeah. he has schizophrenia. So it's like this voice that's talking to him. So there's a whole issue of like, will they believe Jonah mm-hmm. Hill if he testifies? Even yeah. so, because maybe he didn't actually see the brother. Jonah Hill hates his family (laughs) and so signs up for this psychological testing kind of just to like get away from him, I think. He needs the money. He just doesn't care. He's been off his, he's supposed to be on his meds because he had this, what's called, what his family calls a blip like 10 years before. And so he's suddenly off his meds and he just spends the whole show very, very like catatonically depressed, which I understand his character is that. But I just was struggling to see if Jonah Hill was doing a good job at it. And I just, I don't know. I I don't know how any other actor could have played it better. But like, for whatever reason, I really just didn't believe Jonah Hill. Oh, I, I think a lot of actors could have played it better. <laughs> there was no shades to this performance. Yeah. You know, actors talk about like shades in performances. And this was very <laughs> one note. There was no yeah. difference from him. And he's playing these various characters in these other dimensions within his mind where right. he's like a, uh, some kind of weird gangster. He's an Icelandic spy. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. like a guy with a mullet yeah. who's trying to steal lemurs. Like he's <laughs> his various characters. None of them have any difference to them. It's all this monotone. Yeah. Even at the yeah. end when he supposedly, you know, like had a turnaround kind of in life, yeah. he, his personality doesn't change. I feel like he is one of those people who desperately wants to be taken seriously (laughs) as an actor. Yeah. He's had some success in more dramatic roles, but I think in those dramatic roles, he was still... Like yeah, he's the always funny like character. the loud douche or like the funny yeah. douche. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he is sort of that character in Moneyball and in Wolf of Wall Street. Right. And so I think that he wants to be taken seriously. He's like, this is a more serious role. I'm going to play it more straight. Yeah. But it didn't work out for him at all, especially when you're sitting there next to Emma Stone <laughs> and Sally Field yeah. and Justin Throw, who are just like so killing dynamic. these scenes yeah. like one after another with all of these different like they're sad they're happy they're upset there's so many layers to their mm. performance and jonah is like <laughs> bringing us nothing i know it is interesting because the most fun he had the most the one time where i was like oh there he is like he's trying was in one of these dream sequences one of the last ones he plays like it's sort of this world war Two like war room he's playing some sort of foreign crazy blonde dude who like found an alien and tried accidentally killed him and he's like has this very like histrionic performance and he's very loud and energized and i was like oh he's having fun finally but it was short-lived and then it just went back to him staring and like really concentrating on staring and it's like you could see him concentrating on staring and so it just became very distracting for me (laughs) As a counterpoint to Jonah Hill, we have the wonderful Emma Stone, who really just is so good in any role. Like, you can put her in anything. She's great in comedies. She's great in dramas. She's great as Billie Jean King in that movie (laughs) where nothing was good about it except for her. Yeah. She's she's just fantastic. And she had a lot of range here because there are these weird dream sequences where she got to play like a Long Islander wife and a sexy spy and a double crossing agent. And 
She had a lot an and an elf. <laughs> yeah, the dream sequences weren't great for me, but she did good. Yeah, yeah, and unlike Jonah, she actually played various characters. She just yeah. didn't like have a wig on playing <laughs> the same character. And her, she is Annie Landsberg in this, and yeah. her big story arc is that her sister and her lived in New York. Their mom left when they were young, and the sister decides that she wants to leave New York and move to Salt Lake City. And on hey, their yeah. trek, yeah, yeah, shout out to uh, <laughs> you, Shelby, Utah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and on their trek out there. Emma Stone is just so depressed that her sister is leaving her after her mother has already left her. And they sort of have yeah. these uh, like tiffs and Emma Stone doesn't know how to deal with her feelings. And in the process of this, they get their car gets hit by a semi and the sister dies. And so yeah. Emma Stone throughout this story is dealing with like the grief of, of her sister dying, of her mother leaving, of her not being able to share her emotions with her sister. And so that factors into all of these various dream sequences, mm-hmm. especially when the sister kind of keeps showing up. But unlike Jonah Hill's story arc, this one just worked so perfectly for me. And in the final scene at the end where they're having that moment, like it, I was just so moved by it. And Emma Stone played it so beautifully like it was just it was like untouchably yeah I just like wonder if like Jonah Hill's character was always the weak link or if they saw Jonah Hill and sort of it just happened because to me I really understood Annie's storyline it made sense it it like justified the weird dream sequences every dream sequence ended up being about her for me at least and Even Owen's wound up being about her, if you think about it. But when Owen was having these dream sequences, I wasn't sure what he was learning. I wasn't sure what, like, he was supposed to be fixing in his brain necessarily. Whereas with Annie, it was like, oh, yeah, she has this grief. She has this guilt. She has this anger. And she has to kind of let her sister go. And that was such a clear and obvious story arc that it did become much more emotional and much more, like, yeah, just it drawed you, it drew you in a lot better. And I don't know if that was like, if that was just because she's so good or if the story was more Annie's show than Owen's. Well, the trouble with Jonah Hill's character from the beginning is that really there's two big things going on that don't necessarily fit together in the fact that his family hates him and he has to lie <laughs> on their behalf. And then also yeah. he thinks that he sees his brother when he doesn't see him. Right. And for me, those two pieces never quite fit together in any kind of coherent way so when you're watching his dream sequences you're having to filter them through both of those lenses and it just became really garbled where annie's storylines were so much clearer and more straightforward that even in these sort of like metaphors of them as elves or them as spies Mm -hmm. you could pick out what the showrunners were trying to give to us where with jonah hill's character i was just lost for yeah because one of the most confusing episodes for me was the sea pill the final dream sequence and in all the other dream sequences emma stone and jonah hill had been matched up but here for whatever reason they're apart and so jonah hill yes. is this gangster and he has to turn his family in so you see that like parallel and then he meets this woman who's a waitress and they end up running away together supposedly getting a happy ending except he's unhappy and then 
he turns into a hawk and like flies away to save Emma. And I was very confused. One, how he knew he had to save Emma. And two, what that storyline had to do with anything aside from realizing he doesn't need to help his family lie. You know what I mean? I was just like very confused by the hawk thing. (laughs) And on top of all of that, I was also confused. Like, was he supposed to be playing a person of a different ethnicity? Because his haircut with these braids definitely did not look like a haircut I have ever seen on a white person before. And I was like, is he supposed to not be playing a white? Like, I was very confused, thrown off by that as well. So, I kept thinking, I family, feel like this is racist. I think he was like an Irish an Irish gangster was the thing because his whole family with that was, haircut yeah he was like red hair and braids it was like very <laughs> very Irish I don't know <laughs> I didn't I get was, like a different ethnicity vibe yeah <laughs> you were just like appropriation yeah so I was yeah. like appropriation <laughs> uh. yeah it also introduced this very weird tonal shift for me which again was something I didn't connect with or like which was the strange violence like the gore oh yes very gory very gory they had had like a scene with the lemur that the first um vision where they they have this shootout over a lemur and pill i think yeah no that was the a oh yeah that was the b pill anyways someone gets shot like 25 times but it's in the dark so you don't really like see it but here in this one you have someone drill someone's head open it's disgusting. Yes. And then you have someone shoot someone so close that his body splits in half and you get like a close yes. up look of it. And I like was just literally like, in half with the intestines yeah, falling out. This is so gross. And I don't like love gory violence. Like it's not something that appeals to me. So I was just very like, wait, what is this adding to the story? Why is this? Why is this a part of this? I guess is what I thought. And it sort of played into one of my criticisms of the show was that it just felt so self-indulgent and like zany for zaniness sake. It felt like the creators were very like, oh, let's have some fun and do something crazy just because we can. And it'll pass off as like as like clever. But it just felt really like self-indulgent about it all. And I just didn't know what it added. And that really frustrated me. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't really track with that either and why it got so violent all of a sudden because it was so out of left field. But I guess let's talk about the third plot line of this. So they're the subjects of this trial, (laughs) but the third plot line is the doctors of this trial. And in the beginning of the series, there's two doctors. There's an older Asian man who the actor I didn't know. And then there's a younger female doctor who is played by Araminta from Crazy Rich Asians. I was like, yeah. I recognize her from something. Oh, it's a movie we covered like three weeks <laughs> yeah. ago. She's having the a moment. The name is um, Sonoya Mizuno. Mm-hmm. I may or yeah. may not be pronouncing she did that great. right. But she plays Dr. Azumi. Yeah, she's like a chain smoker and a really fierce bob. And I loved it. Yeah, the haircut was great. But anyways, <laughs> the older doctor dies and so they have to go and get Justin Thoreau's character out of like a weird like sex den kind of place (laughs) and so he comes back he was the one who invented the software for this trial and now he has to come back and run it despite the fact that he got kicked out of the project for inappropriate work relationships Mm -hmm. yeah and I really like 
I love Justin Theroux. I think he's a great actor. Like I said, he was in Leftovers. He plays a very, very, very serious and very depressed man. And he does great at that. And so it was interesting to see him turn around and do this very like comedic role, um, very over the top. He's like has this horrible wig that they at least acknowledge is a wig. (laughs) So we don't have to like talk about that as a low budget choice. But It was cool to see him have so much fun and him and Sally Field, who plays his mother, who's this, um, who's this famous therapist who obviously has given her son a level of neuroses that he's not been able to solve. Oh, Um, yeah. They play so well off of each other. There's like episode six was the moment where I finally liked the show. It's the moment where it all takes place in the present and it introduces this relationship. And it was such a great episode and it was so fun to see these two actors who they just were so kinetic with each other it was so good i loved it sally field is she's a treasure a legend and amazing in this and you come to find out that the computer software that is running all of these tests is based on sally field (laughs) and that the computer software was in love with the doctor who died. And so the computer software is grieving and Sally field, <laughs> the real person has to go and do therapy with Sally field, right. the computer <laughs> to try to get her yeah. to release the subjects from the testing. And, right. and, and this, there's one scene where Sally field goes into the simulation and it's basically mm-hmm. a scene where it's just two Sally fields talking to each other. And it is Perfect. so funny and so well done. And she's such a good actress. And I was just like, give her the Emmy, give her the I Emmy know. now. Like just <laughs> yeah, give her best supporting I actress. Of, I was disappointed that it was over so fast because they really only I have know. like a minute or two conversation. And then she escapes and she's like, you have to stop it. She's trying to kill them. And I, that was part of the thing where I was very confused was the computer felt like <laughs> the computer didn't feel really fleshed out as a character for me. And I really wish yeah. they'd done more because I was sort of confused by its motives, by its reasonings, by its like desires, because it felt a little all over the place. And maybe I just was zoned out during some of the conversations or something, but it didn't feel fully fledged. Yeah, I, I can see that. I I feel like it was more fully fledged in its relationship with the three doctors, you know, working in the simulation. I feel like it was yeah. more of a foil than an actual character. I felt like this, the computer, that, that becomes a, like, crisis. Is the computer wants to keep all these people trapped for what some reason that I didn't understand. And it sort of become, I didn't know if it was because she was lonely, she cared about them, or she wanted yeah, to murder them. Yeah, I think them. it's because she's lonely. Yeah, it's like she's she's lonely because the the man died. Mm-hmm. So she wants to keep these people in the simulation forever so she has people to like talk to basically. And so meanwhile they're like interacting with the computer in the simulation like she's a character there, but then in the reality the doctors are working to stop it because they are going to go comatose. And so it was sort of a very suddenly high stakes environment when in before it had just been sort of like this quiet pharmaceutical trial and now they were suddenly racing to like beat the computer and the computer kept outsmarting them and they were Justin Theroux's character gets like blind and it was just like chaos oh and yeah I was that was weird of, it was just sort of like I didn't really connect with it by the end it was sort of weird because at first 
all my interest was on the pharmaceutical company. All my interest was in the reality. But then by the end, the last couple episodes, it got so messy for me that I was sort of like, what are you trying to say? And I was more invested in Annie and Owen's characters and like what they learned from this weird series of events. So I don't know. It kind when of When I was messy. watching this, I also kept thinking about Inception, which is yeah. one of my favorite <laughs> movies and also has this element of like a story within a story going into people's mind. And I felt like at the end of Inception, all of the loose ends were tied up so nicely. Yeah. It was like there was no extra strands lying about. And then in something like Legion, you get to the end and there's like a couple things tied up, but there's so many loose ends that it's like impossible to figure out what happened. Yeah. And I thought in this show, it's like they tied up enough things so that you can see the arc, you can see what they were trying to do. But there were still definitely things like hanging off the side, loose ends that were never yeah. tied together. And I think especially going back and thinking about it or going... like. Like I went back and reread the episode kind of like recaps to refresh uh-huh. my mind before this. And I was like, oh, yeah, that never got resolved. That was weird. <laughs> the scene where yeah. Justin throw, yeah, goes blind. I feel like there's a lot of stuff in the first episode. Like Emma Stone's dad is in this weird tank in his backyard <laughs> that is never yeah. addressed why he's in it. it. Like there's just a lot of kind of asides that don't really go anywhere in this yeah that i think they could have trimmed and made for a cleaner story right but it was just they were having so much fun with it and they were just really indulging in this strange world that they just had a lot of throwaways there but what do you think i'm curious what you think like the point was what's the bigger message what's the theme of the show for you Well, I mean, I think that the message of the show and the theme was just like human connections. Mm -hmm. Because at the end, after they get out of the simulation, uh, Emma Stone and Joan Hill or Annie and Owen kind of go their separate ways and are sort of both still miserable a little Mm -hmm. bit until they realize that they formed this friendship within the simulations and that that can transcend and come to the outside world where they can still be friends. And the plot line with her and her sister had to do with connection and how she could never fully uh, share her emotions with her sister and she wished that she could. The storyline with the computer and the dead doctor has to Mm -hmm. do with human connections. There's also the level of Justin Throw's character and Sally Field and that connection between like mother and son. So the whole thing to me felt like it was about... Uh, repairing the connections between humans and really cherishing those. And I think that was juxtaposed against this world of advertisements and Mm -hmm. pay for a friend. And, and there's all of these things that try to separate one human from another. And really, if you can just find a friend and stick with them and foster that relationship, then that will make your life worth living. Is that what you took from it? I liked that this story, it was about mental illness, but it was never like anti-medication or anti-therapy. It was never like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is the right way to do it. It was very like humanizing of these real people who don't get quick fixes. You know, like you can't cure schizophrenia and you can't like always understand bipolar disorder. But these people were, like you said, able to like just connect and it wasn't even romantic which i was so relieved about it was so great thank the lord (laughs) yeah it was like praise friendship because it was a really nice moment to just like have them realize like i'm not 
immediately better. This trial didn't work. It didn't solve everything. But I found something that kind of gives me hope to move forward. And I thought that was like a really good and clever use of this like platform they had. And I think they did it intentionally because they never wanted to make mental illness the joke, which is why they moved Mm -hmm. the story out of a mental facility and into a pharmaceutical trial. And I thought they did it really well. I think they just took so many so many extra turns and twists and steps to have fun with this world that it did feel sort of lost to me. But at the heart of it, like I did like that they gave that story and the the final image of like Owen and Annie escaping this mental facility together was really sweet and like endearing. And you just got the voiceover of both them. And then you have the voiceover of Dr. Mantle Ray and um, his assistant, in the car together and they're both just like these stories where they just continue we don't get a happy ending we don't get like a solution but they're allowed to like breathe and feel something of hope or peace or whatever it is because they have this like connection now so that was that was nice and thank the lord there will not be a second season <laughs> yeah which i I, I was like yes like we don't it's need so to relieving. drag this out i'm yes. annoyed with these limited series becoming <laughs> longer series when they don't need to be yeah it's like don't Uh, be afraid to just let things end like big little lies should have just ended you know it's like uh, i just that second (laughs) season goes yeah and i think what was interesting about this series too was it was like tonally very different like it wasn't a drama but it wasn't a straight comedy it felt more real that way i guess because even at its most zany like the funny lines where it's like when they find the Don Quixote chapter and they're like, why is it so small? And it's like, oh, because they were shorter then. But it's like a laughably yeah. <laughs> small. Like it was just like there were these weird, quirky jokes that just kind of let you relax a little bit more. So I thought it was really well written. I thought it was really well acted. And I thought the story was interesting. But for whatever reason, I really just like I was a little annoyed by the like self-indulgence on these creators to add all these weird twists and all these weird details and strange choices that didn't really pan out for me. So fast forward to next summer. What do we think (laughs) is getting nominated for Emmys? Do we think anything here is winning Emmys? Like what what is your takeaway on the chances of this? Because it's a limited series. So that's what it'll be competing with. Um, it'll be up against Sharp Objects, which we've already (laughs) talked about. I think this will have a good chance. I think it's so well-reviewed. It's doing so... Like, it's... it's, I was surprised by how well it's doing. Mm -hmm. But I think it definitely will get, like... I think Justin Theroux, Sally Field, Emma Stone all deserve nods. I think the production, or if there's ever any, like, costume or set, (laughs) <laughs> awards that go out it deserves it because it was really a, a really clever universe and I was really impressed by it and even the weird genre bending stuff like whatever like good job you did a Lord of the Rings like <laughs> passively well she should win for gore <laughs> yeah. I just didn't get that like what was that about I want someone to explain it to me like, what's the bigger message there? Why the gore? I don't know. Maybe I'm just a baby. We need someone at BuzzFeed who we can be like, look, can you write us an article that's like 12 things from <laughs> this show? Like, that's yeah. what I need. I need a listicle yeah. explaining some of this. Stuff to me. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, 
I don't always like pretentious shows that seem like they're just trying to be confusing because that means they're clever and smart and like, oh, you don't get it because you're not not Mm -hmm. as intelligent as me. So sometimes I get like a little annoyed at like these shows that are trying so hard to be highbrow. But I think this show won me over because eventually it was just like about funny jokes and weird cultures and like just the human connection beneath and friends it all. and friends yes so important <laughs> f is for friends who do stuff <laughs> together yeah so i don't know if i'll ever rewatch it and i don't know if i would have finished it if i didn't have to but i'm glad i did i think <laughs> so here's the ultimate question was this better or worse than jack ryan <laughs> oh I, it was better. It was better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, oh I hate gosh. that I have to say that, but it was. Yes. I mean, not that this was really competition. I yeah, mean, just Jack totally Ryan was so much worse. Wise. Yeah. This was definitely, uh, this had the art element to it. Like, it definitely had some TLC involved in the making of this show. And I like that they took it seriously. and fun. Yeah. <laughs> and friends. <laughs> And friends. Speaking of <laughs> art and fun and friends, yeah. I have a love it for this week. Oh, good. Please. So the new season of American Vandal is oh, out. Yes. And I have finally finished it. H- have you watched it? Yes. So good. I wish we'd done uh, an episode about it. <laughs> it is the greatest. We should have done an episode on that. I could talk forever about American I Vandal. I freaking love it. I loved Ugh. the first season, and then when I heard there was a yes. second, I was sort of like, okay, why are we doing this? Like, you can't make this work again. But I honestly loved the second season more. It's it's a controversial statement, but I stand by it. <laughs> yeah, I, I also really like the second season. After the first one, I was like, this is so good. There's no way they can top it. But then there was mm-hmm. that teaser trailer that was just yearbook <laughs> pictures yeah. of, like, catholic kids in school uniforms and i was like oh oh i am into this already and then when the actual trailers came out and the season it basically it's a true crime mockumentary (laughs) where two high school kids are investigating these like laughable crimes that take place in high schools and the first season is who drew the dicks on all of the teacher's (laughs) cars with spray paint and it is outstanding you should watch it it's like a making of a murderer spoof and the second season they go to a catholic school to investigate the turd burglar (laughs) who put laxatives in the school lemonade so that all of these kids were just like (laughs) pooping all over the place like diarrhea everywhere in the school and it is the dumbest most wonderful thing but it's also like a good mystery for as funny as it is i was like mesmerized that's by trying to figure me. out who did it i know because at first i was like this is like i really loved the first season because the first season to me was very much like a serial mock inventory it was like yes. it was so nose to nose perfect replica of serial and all its flaws and this one definitely was more like making a murderer because it was sort of like or even just all the Netflix shows because it was so good. But at first I wasn't that into it. And then it just like got so smart that I like literally forgot it wasn't a real, (laughs) like it wasn't a true story. Like they do it so well. And all these kids are so talented. The storylines are so great. And the script is just like, amazing it's such a well-written show the the characters are so 
spot on so to people good. that like actually went to your high school. It's amazing. Yeah. There's like the weird kid who like wears funny hats and drink and is like really into tea. And I was like, yep, that that person <laughs> went to my high school. There's yeah, like the jock who who makes fun of everybody, but is like <laughs> yeah. so popular that everybody's yeah. into it. I was like, yep, this though. definitely happened in my school too. <laughs> He's like, he called, there's some kid he calls Big Head Ed. He's like, yeah, yeah. he has a big head. I call him Big Head Ed. But <laughs> Big Head Ed is like, yeah, it's cool because he's cool i'm like this 100 percent happens yeah. in every high school where the basketball star just ridicules everyone and everybody's like yeah we're cool with it because he's good at basketball and it was like it was really tender and like so smart and clever yes. and i thought it was like like we talked about it with searching but so often tv shows and movies struggle to present social media in a real way but these series do it so well they're like they have their fingers on the pulse of like what makes what like technology looks like and it was like so clever just like they have an entire like episode dedicated to the iphone glitch of like 2017 where the eyes was replaced with this question mark box and it was just like it was just so magical to watch and i thought it was such a great statement on like today's culture for kids and like and the social media pressures and like it had a message which you just don't expect when it's a series about poop you know and it was just yeah. so good and the oh. twist at the end was amazing was which i'm not crazy. going to reveal but like yeah. the ending was so good i th- the episode from the first season that's like the party snapchat episode where they're yes. going back through everybody's snapshots i think that is one of the greatest episodes of tv of all time i bring that up in conversation so <laughs> often and people don't know what i'm talking about i know i'm like guys this was the greatest <laughs> comedic TV episode ever. I was laughing the entire time. Ugh, I know. It's American such Mandel. an underrated so series. Good. Like, I really so was underrated. so impressed. Like, they deserve so much more awards, so much more attention, so many yes. more accolades than they're getting. Like, they weren't so even good. the top of my Netflix homepage. Friggin' Ozark was at the top <laughs> instead of it. I was like, no, get that crap out of there. Get rid of Ozark. Who's freaking watching this? Will you watch it? But like, it was like, American Vandal needs to be front and center. Everybody yeah. needs to watch this. It's so good. I know. I've told uh, like everyone to watch it. And they're like, what's it about? And I'm like... I, it's like hard because you don't want to. Yeah. You can't tell your like adult friends to watch a series about like dicks on cars, but it is like. And diarrhea. Yeah. But it's so good and like so intelligent and well done. It's just amazing to yes. watch. And now so I'm like well hopeful done. for a third one. I really am. I know. I, don't I know. know well, they and they're seniors, it. this one. So I think next oh, year it's yeah. going to be college, <laughs> which I'm excited for. Yeah. Uh, they're so good. But do you have a love it or a hate it? I do. It's sort of the opposite because it's about a totally unrealistic high school. But um, it's a throwback because I've been rewatching Friday Night Lights, <laughs> oh. which is like a, it's a small town Texas football show. And I don't like football. I don't understand football. I don't watch football. But for some reason, I love this show. And so I started rewatching it again. And I'm in like season four. Michael B. Jordan just showed up. And I'm just like, Michael B. Jordan is in Friday Night Lights. He is. He's in the second half of the series, basically. I am so, I want to watch it. I had no desire to watch that. But he is so good. He is so good. He was like, even when I was watching this show, it's like, wow, this guy's going to be do something. And he's so talented, even as a high school, like, angsty football player. I love it. I can't recommend it enough. And I think it is, like, 
one of those shows that's weird to watch because it's it's like these kids don't look like high school kids anymore. You like watch it and you're like, you're clearly like 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like not real problems necessarily, but there's something really like endearing about the human connections on this show and like the relationship between the main family, which is Coach Taylor and his wife, is just one of the best parts and one of the best relationships on television. I love them. And I think the show does a really good job of like, just having this like emotionally character driven show because I don't even like football and I'm still like engaged in a football show. And I just had to give it a shout out because Michael B has my heart and he has ever since I saw this. So it's been good to see him again. (laughs) Well, I legitimately might go and watch this now. Yeah. Season four. It's now that Killmonger is in Friday Night Lights. (laughs) Yeah. You can start season four. There's really no, there's a few characters that, remain but you'll be able to jump in pretty easily because it's a whole new cast awesome yeah (laughs) what a positive episode (laughs) i know i think that's it for this week next week probably will not be such a positive episode (laughs) because it's a moment we've been waiting for you have to face Uh, it matt you have to face his uh, gravelly voice and her big horrendous nose because we what are we talking about (laughs) uh a star is born yes. comes up this Thursday. <laughs> My friend Josh was like, we're going to go see it Thursday, <laughs> Thursday night at 1015. I'm going to see this horrific movie with oh, a whole bunch of people it. who, you know, are like going to be super hyped about it. They got opening night tickets. They're going to sing along with the shallow and friggin' Lady Gaga. <laughs> and I'm going to be sitting there miserable. I I'm going to get a whole, I'm, I'm really getting a slurpee do. just so that I can endure this thing. <laughs> I really just like hope you walk away in tears and you're like, I take it all back. Lady Gaga 5 Emma. It's it's like what you're going to say. I'm just, I can't wait. I really can't. No. <laughs> this week I watched the the shallow music video yeah. just to, you know, <laughs> uh, like try to acclimate myself to the horror that is going to be this movie. Uh-huh. And I was just like, Ugh. I think that the song is worse in its full context than it is in that trailer, which is saying something because it's so bad in the trailer. You're like, such a she just, hater. Oh my gosh. You know it's what's interesting be, it's is actually there was this scandal because Lady Gaga fans have been tweeting bad reviews about Venom to try and get people to go to to subversively get people to go to Star is Born instead. Which I thought was very shady and interesting, but they've been like acting as bots, tweeting about how bad Venom is and like Venom's the worst movie. Go see anything else. Oh, you're lucky a star is born is coming out. Go see that instead. And they're like really gunning for it. <laughs> I was going to bring this up earlier, but I totally <laughs> forgot. I read this article yeah. today on IndieWire that was talking <laughs> about how there are like people who created bots solely to tweet about how much they hate The Last Jedi, oh, the Star yeah. Wars movie, yeah. and how 50% of negative tweets about The Last <laughs> Jedi come from bots. They're not even I real know. people. And how actually that movie is good, which is what I knew from the beginning, and no. I feel so vindicated. And I think that the bots also took down Solo, which is one of the top 10 movies of the year, and I will not back down <laughs> on that point. Oh my gosh, I, that's embarrassing. Okay. No. No. I no. could have given you The Last Jedi, maybe, but um they also have been they've been saying that Venom's being 
DC is paying people to give bad reviews of Venom so that MC Marvel's Marvel's <laughs> universe will go down a notch. But I do we think that they needed to pay anyone <laughs> to give bad reviews of that movie? It like like it literally, I would I would gladly go see a Star Is Born <laughs> before I go see Venom. That's how bad that uh, movie looks. I have to see it. Rob wants to see it, so we're going. <laughs> oh, Rob, why? Why, Rob? Oh my I gosh. I thought that Tom he had Hardy good taste fan. at one point. He's and a then Tom he Hardy came, fan. He was critiquing me about something a couple weeks ago, and I was like, mm, Probably the this office. Is shady. Like and everyone. Yes, everyone that's what it is. He likes the everyone office. Everyone loves Ugh, the office. Blurred. Yeah, okay. I think if Venom. we had to take a poll of who has the best taste on this podcast, it would be me, and your high school friend Nate would agree. So. <laughs> Nate <throat>. doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. You don't even know which Nate. Except it is. for he listens to this podcast. So good yeah. good on him for that yeah. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> well, uh, and he he's obsessed with you, clearly, from I his know. comments. So that's not a fair judge of character. <laughs> yeah, We're gonna well, have to I'll go back to who, who these other reviewer people who really liked me, like Tessica. Like, okay. let's go back and find her. Okay. I remember her being high on me at some point. <laughs> Uh, but I think that's it for this week. Yeah. We'll be back next week with a star is born. Oh, yeah. God help us. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, It'll be good. Maybe okay. not. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Wish me luck. Bye.